strong formation with Jarrett just barely split to the left. Dominique Bird goes in the motion to the left, but a misdirection to Lendale White comes back against the grain, steps into the end zone. Touchdown, Lendale White, and touchdown, USC. Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. This week, our podcast is sponsored by sctickets.com. Need tickets to see the Trojans? Then check out sctickets.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Okay, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. This is episode 11 of the podcast. Hope you guys are enjoying it. As always, if you have any questions for us, you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. And in our first segment today, we are joined by the coach, Harvey Hyde, to talk a little spring football. How are you doing today, coach? Ryan, I'm doing just great. And again, I certainly want to tell you I really enjoyed the Elton John concert on Saturday night provided to us by Southern California Ticket Service. I'll tell you, it was absolutely fabulous. I had great seats. I wish you could have gone with me. Oh, that would have been great. I, I think the invite got lost in the mail somewhere. But, yeah, we should thank our sponsors, sctickets.com. If you have any uh, need to get tickets for concerts or sporting events or theater, you can go to sctickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287. They've been nice enough to uh, sponsor us, and uh, I'm glad you uh, like the Elton John concert, Coach. Absolutely fabulous. And tell you, following the spring game and all of that, uh, for all the SC people who are out at the Coliseum and on a beautiful day, at, uh, what, what can you say? Spring football is done. The football season is not that far away. Uh, summer vacation in store. Spring recruiting for USC now when they get out and evaluate additional players and so on during the month of May. You know, head coaches can't go on the road this year. Did you know that, that the NCAA change the rule where head coaches can't go out and recruit in the spring any longer yeah that's the uh, nick saban rule i was actually this week i did a uh, radio show in alabama they had me on to talk about usc spring football and and the thing that nick saban and pete carroll have in common are that they are both guys that like to go out during that may evaluation period and you know visit those schools where some of the top prospects are it's a lot of work i mean they got to be on the road a lot really only for a bump you know you had that bump rule where if you bump into a kid you can say hi how you doing and you know, it's a good way for a coach to kind of measure up a kid in his environment, you know, and a lot of the, the high school coaches encourage those kids to, you know, dress nice that day, carry books, you know, just, you know, look as studious as possible to impress these coaches. And I think guys like Pete Carroll and Nick Saban prided themselves on the work that they could do by doing that, getting out and working hard. So there's only a few coaches in the country that seem to be upset by this new rule that you're talking about. And Pete Carroll is definitely one of them. Well, let me tell you, there's more lazy coaches than there are energetic coaches, coaches, okay? And what they feel, they'd rather stay at home and play golf and keep Pete Carroll and Nick Saban and these other guys away from the campuses where they'd have an advantage than to allow them to get out there. And I, and I don't mean to be negative when I'm saying this, but tell, you, tell me, what a presence is there on a high school campus? Not talking about recruiting when Pete Carroll walks in York on your campus and, and in California or wherever and goes into the principal's office and just says, thank you, I just wanted to let you know I appreciate everything you do for the students and also for all the athletes that we've had at USC or in the future maybe are able to recruit at USC. I mean, this rule protects nobody but the lazy coach. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
I, I'm just telling you that. I'm talking against my peers, okay? I'm saying I used to love to recruit, too. I used to love to go out and sit out in the principal's office. But during the season, you don't have a lot of time to sit out and do that or go down and see the equipment guy. But you can't talk to the athletes. Go by and see a coach that maybe doesn't have a player but someday might have a player. And you can motivate his staff and that school that maybe someday they'll have a player play at SC. So, you know, I really think that that it's a rule that uh, was put in to, to protect the lazy coach who wants to go play golf all spring when his uh, coaches, assistant coaches, seven assistant coaches can go on the road, can go out and recruit. I really believe that, and I'm sorry if you're a coach out there that voted for this. That's just the way I feel. Yeah, I talked to Gerard Martinez, our recruiting analyst, kind of uh, off the air about this a little bit, and he was saying, you know, some of the rules just don't seem to make much sense. Like, what are they trying to do? They just want coaches to, you know, pick kids off film they see on, like, Rivals.com. I mean, you know, why are they taking away? You know, they can't go to camps. They can't go to combines. Like, okay, now you can't go to their uh, their high schools in May. I mean, do they just want just randomly you're supposed to recruit kids? You're not allowed to go out and actually, you know, kind of scout them first? It, just, it didn't make much sense, you know? didn't make sense. I mean, there's plenty of ways to evaluate players. I'm, that's not my concern. You know, uh, assistant coaches go out and bring back all their great players, and you look at them on videotape, on videotape against competition and so on. But I'm just talking about the PR, PR aspect, the time to get off, do things with other people, speak at maybe high school banquets for coaches, you know, for students out there that maybe the spring sports, you can go out and speak at a banquet for them and do these different things that, that pay back pay back to high schools that, that are out there that these kids are working so hard and maybe don't even have a winning program. But Pete Carroll's on campus or one of the coaches that these kids watch play every Saturday and sometimes have a dream. And, and just his present might motivate someone to go the right way or get something done. So I'll go back to my statement. I think it's a, a poor rule. But, you know, they're, they're, everybody's got to get some type of rule in there every year. There's no change, you know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh yeah, switching gears a little bit, uh, you know, I definitely agree with you on the, uh, the the Nick Saban rule there. But I wanted to talk about the spring game. It was actually surprising to me. It was actually a rather exciting game. It, it was interesting. I'm not sure. I mean, we can get your perspective on, as a coach, what you want to see out of the spring game. But obviously, if the, the offense does really well, uh, the, are you saying that the offense is great or the defense isn't that good and vice versa? I, the things I liked about the spring game were I think the defense got to shine a little bit early on and the first half wasn't all that exciting kind of more what you would typically expect in a spring game and then things started to open up a little bit in the second half and you could tell Pete Carroll like I was down on the sidelines filming you could tell Pete Carroll when they end up tying it up at uh, 27 all and going into overtime I mean, they, the the announcer announced that the game was over it was going to be a tie and Pete Carroll was like no no let's play let's play let's go overtime he made you know he made it a fun overtime period not just for the players and you know for its evaluation purposes too, but also for the fans and let them come and stay stay there and watch an overtime period when they scored touchdowns. Both sides scored touchdowns on the first possessions of overtime. He made them both go for two. They both missed. Uh, the first team offense ended up kicking a field goal and then Aaron Corp threw a beautiful pass to Trayvon Patterson for a touchdown, 25-yard touchdown to end the game. And it was a really exciting way. And I liked the way they structured the game as well where it wasn't... Uh, I talked to... Um, some of the guys at Old Miss and their spring game was basically like first and second stringers versus all the reserves. And it just, you know, it's just a blowout. And Pete Carroll put the first string offense 
and the second string defense against the you know first string defense and second string offense. So they made it as even as possible and let these guys go at it. And it turned out, you know, you had an overtime game. So the I think it worked what he wanted to accomplish making a game where it would be exciting for the fans, exciting for the players, and kind of even on both sides of the ball. I think he accomplished that. Well, yes, and you can't get any better unless you put your goods against goods. I mean, a lot of, I'll tell you what, a lot of schools have the ones against threes and ones against fours. Why? They want to build confidence in their offense. They want to build confidence in their defense. The defense shuts out the offense. They can't move the football or whatever. But at USC, they're fortunate enough to have depth where one goes against twos. That Their twos are as good as ones at most universities. So I think you get better by going big against big. We call it big against big. And, and the pride that you develop in the offensive side of the football and the defensive side of the football, and if you do well on one or the other, then you feel confident about your achievement. I mean, how good can you feel if you're the number one defense going against a number three or number four offense and you're shutting them down? That's not realistic. So, you know, when you do that, you're in a program where you're trying to develop some confidence on both the offensive side of the football and the defensive side of the football. But at USC and major universities, Ohio State and these others, the only way you get better is you put big on big, you bring your, you know, you bring your lunch, I'll bring my lunch. If it takes all day to get this fight done, we'll take all day to get it done. And I think that's what uh, is accomplished. And also, you mentioned the overtime period and Coach Carroll making the teams go for two. Now, I think that was smart. Now, I don't know if he had it planned or not, but when there is a tie during the regular season, you have to play overtime football. It's the difference between winning and losing. So if you have this type of opportunity, and normally I would think they might even have had it scrimmaged in or, or, or written in to do, uh, take advantage of it. Work on it. You've got so many plays. You've got to make a first down. You've got to score, kick a field goal. Then you've got to turn it around and go the other way. And, even, uh, and going for two points is smart because kicking an extra point, okay, we'll give you that. But having to go for two points to win or having to go to, for two points to tie, you've got to work on these drills. And you've got to put pressure. And these kids have got to know, hey, we've got to make this or it's over with. So I think that was a great, great call by Pete Carroll and having his team go through that because he went, they went through that in a situation that makes the difference of winning and losing. Yeah, and I, I think you know to the point of the two-point conversion as well, you give the defense a chance to stop that because that's not something you get to do all the time. I, I see your, uh, your little puppy up there is up again. What's going on? Oh, yeah, <laughs> let me tell you, I apologize to all of our listeners. I just fed the dog to keep the dog in the other part of the house, okay? So as soon as she hears me talk USC football, in she comes. She didn't even finish her breakfast to sit here and get in her two cents worth. And I'm going to tell you, next week, I promise you, I will keep her in the other part of the house for all of you listeners. But if you are a dog lover, put your dog on and let your dog listen to what she has to say. <laughs> you know, we know she's a big Mitch Mustaine lover because she uh, love her because she uh, came in barking when we talked about him last week. Um, <laughs> the, the, the quarterbacks all had a pretty good day. I mean, Aaron Court probably threw the best, 13 out of 16. He had couple touchdowns uh, including the game winner he had one taken away that I have on film where he was not t- they called it a sack um, Chris Gallipo played great but he did not sack Aaron Corp on that play he didn't touch him before Aaron Corp got rid of the ball and threw another touchdown pass to Trayvon Patterson so it should, re- should really be three touchdowns for him um, but all the quarterbacks did pretty well they, you know, they each had at least two touchdown passes the interesting thing to me was the running game wasn't quite there Stefan got the most carries he actually did pretty well he had a 24 yarder uh, a nice gain on that. He had a touchdown. 
Uh, he had 13 carries for 58 yards. No one else really had, I mean, almost double digits. I think uh, you know, Broderick Green had a couple carries for 12 yards, and, and Bradford had like five carries for 11 yards. I was expecting Bradford to at least break one big run. I think we talked about this before. But none, you know, none of the running backs besides Stefan, even him to a limited extent, really got off. Is that a concern for you, Coach? It is. And if you remember, I mentioned it last week when I talked about the scrimmage they had on the previous Saturday. I have a real concern on the running game at USC. Uh, you know, you have to believe in the running game, and you have to run the football in the running game, and you have to run it even if you're not scoring. Because the only way you get better at it is practice it, practice it, practice it, and then you have videotape uh, to show your offensive linemen and your players that, hey, this didn't work, or, hey, you receivers out there didn't block anybody, or whatever. And, you know, you've got to have an outside running game, an inside running game, and then your play-action pass comes off of it. If you don't have any running game, your play-action pass isn't worth anything. I just play pass. And, and, I, and I mentioned I was worried about that when I watched them scrimmage the week before. I didn't see a consistency in the play calling as far as running the football. Uh, it's in their running game. They have great running backs. But you have to work on it. And you have to continually, even if you don't score and you don't make a first down, move the ball back and let the team understand the effect that, hey, we didn't make this play. We didn't, we didn't run the ball three straight plays. So we got to go all the way back 60 yards and start over again or turn around. We had to punt the football. You've got to show an importance that we got to run the football. It comes from the play calling. It comes from the, the style of what you're doing. If they take away, take away this play, we'll do this play. If we've got to make uh, their corners tackle. Uh, we've got to do dirt, certain things, game plan something against the defense to have your running game work. Because if your running game doesn't work, then what type of confidence does your offense have in the season when it's third down and two and the play comes in and it's a run play? Now, do they have confidence in this play? Do they believe they're going to make it? Unless they've had the opportunity to work it before and make it, it's very difficult. So you've got to have the passing game as well as the running game be successful. Otherwise, you lose that confidence feeling when a play is called. Yeah, I think uh, it, when you saw the runs actually work in the scrimmage, they were kind of in passing situations. They had a couple like eight or ten yard touchdown runs, and they were. I think the defense was really geared up for the pass, and they kind of slipped the run in there, and it ended up working. But when they really had to run the ball at the end of regulation, the first team offense actually had the ball. Mark Sanchez had the ball. I think it was in field goal range, so it was. I think maybe at the twenty five yard line or so. I think they ran like three plays in a row, trying to run out the clock. He'd actually call a time like a timeout when the play clock ran down, trying to run the clock all the way down so they could kick a field goal. So it was a real, again, to our point of game situations, it really was a game situation. They could not move the ball at all. When they knew they were going to run, it just went nowhere. And, I, you know, the concern for me is I, I think a lot of it was they have been moving around the offensive line. And there's no, even when they released the depth chart, it, it's pretty much in flux. You know, Butch Lewis is a guy you think would be the starting left tackle. He's been a little banged up. So Charles Brown has been there. I think the real constants are Byers and O'Dowd at left guard and center. But the whole right side of the line, they've moved around. Sometimes it's Zach Heber at guard. Sometimes it's Thomas Herring, uh, Alex Parsons, Nick Howell, even Bush Lewis over there at right tackle. They've, they've moved guys around. And I, I think even it hurt even more on the second team offense because it was, uh, you know, they were kind of in flux as well. They didn't have the same kind of uh, caliber of athletes out there, I think, on the second string line. Not all across, but there was just a few kind of holes there. I, I just think that... I think the running backs were okay. Uh, Mark Tyler had a rough day. He he fumbled and uh, he got stood up at the line a whole bunch of times. But I think they, uh, moving the offensive line around so much, I think that kind of put the, the running game at a disadvantage. 
Oh, I'm sure it does. You know, you got to get used to playing together and knowing who's next to you and the combinations and the calls and so on. And it's been a concern. We, there's no secret. The number one thing that they had to work on this spring offensively, I thought, was bring receivers along, find who your uh, your receivers are going to be. And, I, and, you know, I have my choice of who I think had a great sp- uh, spring at receivers and get a combination and get the offensive line tougher get them tougher, get them ready to play. They had some experience, a few of the guys, but they haven't really, you know, had the experience that's necessary to, to go against Ohio State yet. And the only way you do that is you've got to get them in a position. You've got to evaluate them during the spring, and you've got to give them all an opportunity so they all know that they've had this opportunity. And when you come back in the fall, you've got to have a depth chart, and you've got to start, and you've got to try to keep this depth chart. You can't keep moving people around, but they, they, they lose also their confidence in themselves at a certain position. They just start to feel good at a, at a position in their blocking rules and so on, and then they're moved. So uh, you've got to get this organized. And, you know, uh, they're, they're just young. They're just young, and they need to, they need to uh, like we talked about, they need to be lined up, and they need to go one-on-one. They need to go over and over and over, inside drill, outside drill, inside drill, outside drill, all the drills that are necessary to build their confidence against the number one defense or number two defense, not guys they can block, where it's going to be tough, where it's not going to be easy yardage. Remember, running the football is not easy yardage. So then you've got to have plays designed that stretch the defense for the running game as well as the passing game. So you take advantage of the field on where you are, and you, and you utilize that in your play calling so that the run sets up the pass and the pass sets up the run. And Pete Carroll has always said he wants a balanced offense. So you've got to get the running game going. And, 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 and it's not that they don't have the athletes. They have the greatest running back group of players in the nation. The offensive line, they've got top recruits. It's just getting them to perform and start to play and get tough and get a bloody nose once in a while or get in a fight once in a while or, you know, get tired of, 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 of somebody making a tackle. And, 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 and know what their responsibility is. Your name's never going to get called unless you have a hold or a penalty, and you've got to unite as a group and get it done. But if you don't have – the battles are won on the offensive and defensive line. The type of football team SC is going to be next year is how the offensive line comes along and the defensive line comes along and how the receivers mature. I agree with you, Coach. And it, you know, there definitely wasn't balance to the scrimmage. It was mostly a passing scrimmage. I'm sure that's something they're going to – Think about all off season and, and work on in the fall. Uh, one last topic before we were running out of time in the segment, but I wanted to uh, touch on the defense. They got seven sacks in the uh, Trojan huddle scrimmage. They forced uh, three fumbles, and uh, Luther Brown had a nice interception on a broken flea flicker play that uh, Mark Sanchez tried to run. Uh, Chris Gallipo obviously was a star. He had nine tackles, six for a loss, three sacks, two forced fumbles, scored a touchdown. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous the kind of line he had. I, I told you about the sack that they he shouldn't have got. I think they took two others away from him as well. So it wasn't like he's uh, he, he definitely put up the numbers. Uh, Taylor Mays had the signature hit when he just laid out uh, Patrick Turner going across the middle. And, and that's not laid. good either for Patrick because he got laid out a year ago. That's not going to be a positive thing happening to him. No, and I feel bad. I, t- I actually ran into him uh, Sunday after the Nike camp at USC. And you know, he said he was okay, but you, you can tell – that was a pretty jarring hit, and and Mays let everyone knew about it. He was not uh, he was not helping uh, Turner up afterwards. Not that he was being mean, but he was just letting people know that he gave him a hit. But Ray Maluga had a great game. He had seven tackles. I, I think the linebackers played really well, and they're they're just showing that. I think last year everyone thought that uh, the second string, you know, linebackers were as good as any first string in the Pac-10. It looks like that's still the same when you got 
you know, guys like uh, Chris Gallipo and, uh, you know, um, Luther Brown coming in there and just, I mean, just making a lot of plays when they get a chance to be on the field. It looks like it's going to be a very talented, very deep, fast, and uh, hard-hitting defense this year again. Well, it's going to be, if you remember our first or second segment when we broke down the positions. I said it was Luther Brown's year. He's got to step up. He came in with all the credentials, all being a four- or five-star recruit, all of that, and really has been pretty silent, has not played that much, and has not made some big hits and so on. And I said it's this year. It's time for him to step up and start being a football player. And uh, Glippo, I don't have to tell you about him. He's a great player. I'm going to tell you it's going to be great for him to be on the field and play because he's the heir apparent. And uh, I think the linebacker cores are great. I think the secondary is solid. Once they get the defensive line straightened away on who's going to play where, where the defense should be a, a heck of a defense again for USC. But it's going to have to be. But they have a tough schedule. and They go get some great offensive football teams. And championships are won with defense. We've talked about that and the different styles of defense during our segments that Pete Carroll uses as far as when he has a team that can score a lot on offense and a team that can't score a lot on offense. So you have to decide if you're going to be a pressure defense or you're going to be a regular defense. And obviously uh, they could have pressured more of the USC offense on Saturday because they weren't picking up things. You don't just get sacks by accident. You get sacks because someone made a mistake or someone got outpowered and they didn't understand what they were doing. So you got to remember, if you don't put this on tape, you can't correct it. So they probably gave them a lot of different blitzes and a lot of different looks so that they can correct it during the summer months with the athletes saying, now see, when this is done and this shows, this is who you have to block on this play. And unless you see that, it's very difficult to change. You don't want to try to correct it in the Virginia game or after the Virginia game or after the Ohio State game. You've got to do that now. And, and one unit might look bad or whatever's necessary, but uh, you've got to do this to get it all on film or you can't correct anything. Yeah, that makes sense, Coach. And they'll, they'll have a lot of uh, the summer look at film and have meetings, and then obviously it's going to be a lot of fun when fall camp starts. But we'll be talking a lot of Trojan football between now and then. But I just wanted to thank you again for joining us. Another great segment. And uh, let's uh, close the book on USC Spring Football 2008. And let's remind everybody about Southern California Ticket. Definitely. SCTickets.com. Concert, sports, theater. Go see Wicked. I'm, I hear that's really good. I have not seen it yet, but I think uh, my girlfriend's itching to go. But you can go to SCTickets.com, 1-800-888-7287. Thanks to our sponsor, and thanks to you, Coach Hyde. Well, thank you very much. Have a great, great week. Yeah, coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk recruiting with Gerard Martinez. And then our final segment of the show, we've got a really special guest, Mike Mayock of the NFL Network. is going to break down the... USC players in the draft coming up this weekend. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. All right, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. This is episode 11, our second segment, and we are joined with uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. How are you doing today, Gerard? I'm doing pretty good. 
And uh, we spent our Sunday down at USC again after a long spring camp, uh, basically to look at some of the incoming here um, for the Nike camp over at USC. Wanted to talk to you. We went last year, and it seemed to be a lot more lineman-focused, where this year there was a lot of skill position guys uh, getting some notice. Is that your overall impression of this uh, latest Nike camp? Definitely. Uh, I think 2007, it was all about the trenches. And uh, ironically, I mean, that was where USC was recruiting. That's where they needed numbers. You had Matt Khalil. You had Tyron Smith, uh, Max Tui, Mariner, the Jackson Twins. It was really a great camp uh, when it came to uh, the, the linemen, and that was really the focus. And then Sunday, it was all about the skill positions, uh, really with the wide receivers and the linebackers standing out. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of guys USC was after. Um, there was one big-name lineman that's a commitment to USC, Kevin Graff. He actually won the MVP. I think there was four or five Trojan commits that were MVPs, and we can talk about that a little bit. But before we go over to the skill position, guys, I wanted to get your thoughts on Kevin Graff. He was someone that actually shined last year at the Nike camp, and uh, do you think he did what he needed to do to deserve the MVP for this year? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think some people felt there was a – political decision that got him the MVP. A lot of people like Michael Phillips. Um, I think the thing about Graf is that his potential is definitely on the interior. Uh, he can play right tackle, but I think when you watch film on him and you watch his feet and you see how powerful he is, I mean, he's 6'6", 308 pounds, 305 pounds, depending on you know what kind of breakfast he had. Uh, and he's mean, and he gets upfield well, and that's really where you want to play him in college. And I think when you kind of see that in some of these drills, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to judge a guy when he's an interior guy because those drills are more focused towards pass rushing and guys are coming off the edge when you're going uh, against the bag. You know? So that, that's, that's a little bit of an issue. Um, but I thought he performed really well. He's always performed well. I think the thing about Kevin Graff is that he showed up to all these camps and he's never backed away from anybody. And there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, he seems to enjoy the competition and just getting in there. And he, when he does his reps, he likes to get in there against whatever the best defensive lineman is. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's hard to, you know, the one-on-ones are fun, but they don't have pads and it really kind of features those speed rushers trying to get around guys. So it's not, maybe it's not his cup of tea, but he seemed to do really well from what I saw. We obviously, we spent most of our time looking at the skill position guys. A couple of guys that I did actually a lot of film on uh, was Matt Barkley and Morel Presley. Both of them won uh, MVPs for their positions. Um, Barkley didn't really show up, though, until halfway through the camp, so I'm not sure if he should have been an MVP. It was interesting to see him and Presley kind of get together. Presley came over and kind of treated Barkley as like a superstar, like, oh, here's Matt Barkley, here's Matt Barkley. Uh, but they always, when they got in line to do uh, one-on-one drills, where you'd have the quarterback throwing and you know, the defensive back covering uh, whoever the receiver was, they tried to get together. It was interesting. They didn't really hook up all that much. You would think that those two guys have... have you know, kind of seen each other and know each other a little bit, but they didn't really uh, connect all that well. Well, I think that one thing you have to, to realize, I mean, obviously, as you stated, you know, Matt came in, he had a, a church event uh, earlier in the day, so he came in halfway through the camp. So it took him kind of a while uh, to get his timing down. But when you come into a camp like this and you're playing with such talented athletes, and this being the high school level, modern day's got some good players, but they don't have a lot of Morel Presley's out there. So when you're talking about timing with receivers, it's always tough when you watch these quarterbacks and you watch who they're throwing to, because sometimes you may have a really good receiver who's running really good routes, but he's got a quarterback that's throwing the ball over his head or into the ground, and vice versa is also true. And I think when you have two good players, it's easy to think, well, hey, man, Matt Barkley, he, he can throw it you know, right on the money. And Merle Presley, who I thought ran probably the best routes of any receiver at 
the camp. Um, but those guys still, they're, they're new to each other. They've never really thrown much to each other. Uh, they've never had any kind of, uh, you know, back and forth um, kind of rapport like that. This is really one of the first times, I think, that they stepped on the field together and played in that kind of situation. So, you know, it's, it's really a matter of just timing, and you kind of have to just realize that uh, those guys individually, what they do is not necessarily um, as important as what they do uh, together at this point in time. Obviously, when they get to USC and uh, they get into camp, it's going to be different. And, and then you start to expect them to be able to hook up more and to look better, more polished as a duo. Yeah, I guess you just assume because they're both USC commits that they would play together. But really, they haven't had a chance to get on the kind of circuit and uh, see each other too much. It was interesting, though, watching Presley when he did his one-on-ones, even if Barkley wasn't throwing the ball. You're right. I mean, it looked like his routes were really crisp. He always seemed to be able to get open and get separation from the defensive backs. He just kind of looked like a physical mismatch. And it was interesting. They didn't seem to have, you know, I was watching the first, uh, you know, the, the one group where the receivers were and some of the better receivers. Uh, we saw Shaq Evans that was there and Presley and some of the other guys. I didn't see some of the bigger named defensive backs in that group. I'm not sure if they did that on purpose, but they didn't. I don't think they made a concerted effort to put the ones versus ones on that drill for some reason. And that just seems to happen sometimes and uh you know if you don't have somebody there that can kind of uh you know kind of put those guys together sometimes you got to call guys out and say hey listen i want to see you against you and if there's nobody there that kind of knows these players and kind of knows what their potential is sometimes they get broken up into different groups and they don't get to play against each other so yeah i mean that that becomes an issue sometimes and i think this year although there was a good group of defensive backs i think the receiver group talent wise and even depth wise was was superior. It was a good group of receivers this year. I mean, you had, uh, I mean, we talked about Merle Presley being a tight end, but, you know, looking like a receiver out there, did very well when you watched him individually, just kind of do his thing in a bubble, if you will. Um, but you also had, uh, you know, Shaq Evans there. And Shaq Evans, he, he felt like he was a little disappointed down a little bit um, on, you know, just uh, the way he played because he dropped a couple balls. Um, but, you know, he played really well. I think overall, you know, overall looking at the day, watching him in spark drills, kind of seeing his footwork, he digs really well on his routes. When you're talking about a guy who's going to be a slot receiver, um, he's not really 6'2", he's not really the flanker type guy, he's more of an inside guy that you want to get on the comeback routes, and when you watch him on the short routes, he digs real well, he gets off his brakes real well, um, he just dropped a couple passes that I don't think he normally would drop, and it's just a simple issue of that. Um, but, but he was, you know, I, I think impressed a lot of people, especially when you got a guy just with his build and, uh, and his speed. And, and he's such a good kid, too. I mean, this is a kid that's not going to have off-field issues. He's just got a, um, an honor roll uh, award uh, in, in, for the Inglewood School District uh, a couple weeks ago. A uh, very quiet kid. That's the kind of stuff that you like to see. And, and a lot of schools are, you know, they're starting to kind of wake up and realize, man, that's, that's, that's worth something. That's valuable to have a kid that you, you bring into your program. You don't have to worry about him off the field. That's Shaq Evans. Um, we also had a great showing for 2010 here. We got uh, Kenny Scott from Colony, Ontario. Smooth, uh, a lot more rangy. He's kind of a little more of that flanker, uh, probably in the 6'3 range. He's a little slim, a little skinny, probably you know, 175 maybe, um, but he was really nice and, and, and kind of just glided through his routes, especially when he was hitting the post routes and the deeper routes. You really see where a guy like that who has a good vertical, long arms, could be a mismatch for uh, you know defensive secondary down in the middle of the field. And uh, obviously when, when you got a kid that's just still young, I mean, we're talking 2010, he's a sophomore, 2B junior, 
he's got to grow into his body a little bit. You know, he's got to be a little more coordinated. So on the shorter routes and his breaks, he was a little clumsy, didn't really break real well. Separation wasn't there so much. But, you know, again, you've got to have to look at these things in context. You don't just look at one thing and say, well, he didn't get great uh, separation on, on the out route. Well, you know, the kid's probably, you know, 15 years old at this point. He's got to get better. Uh, and then we had Dylan Baxter, who was probably the premier uh, sophomore to be junior 2010 kid uh, who worked out the receivers. He's a two-time All-State pick. Uh, was an all-state pick as a freshman, as a running back. He's going to play running back uh, at the next level, but he worked out the receivers just, I think, really to kind of learn and, and to train a little bit um, coming out of the backfield and, and trying to do those things. Uh, C.J. Gable a few years ago came out and worked out with the receivers the same way. C.J. Gable did not look as good as Dylan Baxter looked Sunday. Uh, he was fast, great feet, superior agility in the ladder drills. You see where he's so fluid and effortless when he goes through those. Um, he didn't really know his routes real well. I think that was only the <laughs> yeah. knock on him. Some of the some of the coaches were getting on him a little bit. You know, he wasn't breaking where he should break and, and maybe, you know, not cutting. But when he knew what he was doing, uh, he did it fast and he did it effortlessly, and you could see the talent there. Uh, it was undeniable. Yeah, we talked to Baxter a little bit after uh, the workout there, and it, it was interesting to see. You know, he de- definitely had to pick one or two. I think he would have liked to be able to work out a little bit, but both. But it was kind of nice to have him focus on one. And I think he focused on the one that he didn't have as much experience in, and he got to to learn a little bit, even though the coaches got on him. And uh, you're right, though, it's a great group of receivers. Um, you know, what I wanted to see as I ended up following about three defensive backs around uh, that that you know showed a lot of promise. And actually, a couple coaches came up to me. One of the guys I was looking at is Sheldon Price. He's a kind of tall lean lanky kid and uh, very one, tall very yeah. lanky very lean <laughs> yeah very and uh, you know just it looks like he's got a nice wingspan and one of the coaches came up to me and said he's the you know he's he's the best defensive back in the san gabriel valley by far and uh, i just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on him and then it's also usc commit chris metcalf who uh you know he worked out with the defensive backs he didn't work out with the linebackers and then someone you have a feature on the front page of uscfootball.com right now uh byron moore all those three of those guys he was easy to spot because he had the uh these funky green gloves on uh but i wanted to see those guys go up against presley and some of them but for whatever reason they were in different lines but just kind of get your thoughts on uh, those defensive backs well a lot of people like price and i like price too i mean when you got a guy who's six foot one legitimately and he's got great feet i mean that guy that we talked about scott you know kenny scott you know the, the 2010 receiver a guy that, you know, you talk about shorter routes and being quick, the coordination might not be there. You know, when, a tall, when a kid's tall and he's young, you got to have to play. didn't seem to bother Sheldon Price. I mean, he, he came down and he was great in the spark drills. He showed quick feet, great balance. Uh, he is very lean. Um, he's not. He's certainly a guy that uh, I, I don't see him getting to that, you know, 190-pound range. Um, in college anytime soon, he's probably closer to like a 160 maybe. And when you consider he's 6'1", almost 6'2", he really stands out as being very lean. He was um, a beanpole, yeah, you, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, he, it, it's kind of amazing to watch him because he really doesn't give up anything. He's not, he's not a guy that's a long strider. He really played well, and he was quick, and he jumped on routes well. And like I said, in the, in the spark drills where you're watching footwork, he, he excelled. He was really good. So he, he's a guy we're going to have to watch. He's a guy that USC needs to get into their camp and watch him and, and see how he kind of develops and, 
and kind of put uh, put a little asterisk on him because he might be a guy that uh, comes into play down the future. And, and when we're talking about quarterbacks, that's a position USC is going to be looking hard at, especially for some numbers there. Um, Chris Metcalf, as you mentioned, he's a guy that plays really in kind of a 4-4 fist back, um, more of a linebacker, and he's not really used to or familiar with a lot of the defensive back drills when you start to talk about pass uh, coverage, you know, the, the backpedaling of it and uh, the hips. He was good, though. He wasn't bad. He just didn't understand a lot of it, but you see a lot of the physical talent there, and he's long and he's lean, and he's just one of those guys that you can see is going to grow into being a 210 guy, and he's going to be able to go out there and, and blow people up like he was a linebacker because basically we all know USC uses their safeties like their linebackers. Sure, yeah. I mean, they're huge. Uh, a la Taylor Mays destroying Patrick Turner in the scrimmage. Ouch, um, yeah. and, and then you have uh, Byron Moore, who's kind of a little bit of a tweener between the both. He's a guy that's uh, legitimate 6'1", uh, about 200 pounds, 190 pounds, um, and kind of really showed up, and I think he surprised me at least at how big he was. I mean, he's a kid who's got good size, pretty thick, strong. Is he... A USC-type safety, that's the question. It's not necessarily, is he a good safety? Is he a legitimate four-star prospect? I think he is. But how does he fit in with USC? That's another question because, like I said, those guys they recruit seem to be like linebackers. You know, yeah. They're big dudes who run real fast and do a lot of damage when they meet you at the line of scrimmage. And I don't know if Moore is that kind of guy. He's a little more of a Marshall Jones-type guy. So, uh, or excuse me, Marshall, uh, yeah, Marshall Jones. I'm, I'm thinking of Malcolm for a second there. But, yeah, Marshall Jones, who's um, a smaller guy, about the six-foot range of 190, 195 pounds, uh, more of a coverage-type safety. So, you know, Byron Moore fits that mold, and we'll have to see with uh, Metcalf and T.J. McDonald already on board if they want to go in that direction for a smaller guy. Yeah, and you mentioned that hit by Taylor Mays. Just for anyone out there listening, if you want to see that, we have video of that up on uh, uscfootball.com. Just go to the highlights. It should be on the front page there somewhere. Just look for the uh, Trojan highlight video, and it's it's kind of towards the end. But he absolutely destroyed Patrick Turner. I, I, I was a great at a great angle on, it, so I have a really nice shot of it. So it's you guys can check that out. Um, speaking of blowing people up, uh, I didn't really get to follow the linebackers all that much because I was sticking mostly with the defensive backs and and Barkley and Presley, like I was talking about. But I know you got to see a lot of uh, Marcus Simmons and Vontez Perfect, and uh, apparently they just both just tore it up at the camp. What did you uh, think of their play? Yeah, it was excellent. I, I mean, for me, it was the highlight of the camp because uh, Marcus came in, and, and he really had a lot to prove. He was a guy who was sitting out top uh, of the Rivals 100. Um, a lot of people thought coming in to his junior year he was going to be a five-star guy. Um, not a lot has changed, in my opinion, about him. I think he's definitely one of the top players in California. Um, yeah, he had some bad games, and he had some injury issues, and I think that some people maybe saw him when he had an off day, but I saw him against, uh, I saw him a couple times last year in person, and, and once against uh, Chris Polk in Redlands East Valley, which was a very good team last year, and Marcus Simmons was just dominant. You saw the flashes of just just being a beast out there, just being able to go sideline to sideline and just eat plays up. And uh, he looked like that guy Sunday. Uh, in this context, obviously, you're, you're not looking uh, for physicality so much because it's non-pad and it's really supposed to be non-contact. Well, somebody didn't tell that to Marcus. Uh, he went up. <laughs> 
he went up uh, in the in the one-on-one drills with the tight ends and the running backs, and he just beasted guys. I mean, his first rep, he almost took the guy's shirt off, almost took him into the coaches. I mean, he just completely tore him apart. Second guy, same thing. I mean, he guys could not get off the line of scrimmage on him. Um, he did give up one pass uh, to Donnell Jenkins, who uh, Daniel Jenkins ended up being the MVP at running back, and this is a guy who's a water bug, uh, scat back 175 pounds, you know, 5'9", very quick, very fast guy, track guy, and he got a wheel route on him, and, you know, that's that's doable. I mean, if you're Marcus Simmons, you're, you're okay with that because uh, in most situations, running back's not going to be able to come clean off the line of scrimmage like that. I mean, these are drills that are really skewed uh, in the running back's favor, and he did excellent against all the guys he went against uh, except for him. But, you know, even in that in that uh, particular rep, he ran, you know, step for step with them down the sideline. So, Excellent day for him. Um, he, he could just see how focused he was. He was like a caged tiger. He was walking the line. He was giving guys looks. I mean, you could just see that focus, and he was just into it. And you just you got to be pumped up to see him uh, in Cardinal Gold uh, in 2009 because he's going to be a great player. And, and then you had his counterpart there, the other USC commit, Vontez Burfitt. Vontez, six foot two, 245 pounds, and as dominant as he is on film, and I've seen him a bunch in person too. You kind of wonder, all right, the pads are off, you're playing in space, you got these little running backs running all over the field on you. Is he going to excel in this kind of drill? And I kind of had my doubts. Well, there were no doubts after Sunday. He came in and he dominated these guys. He dominated everybody he went against. They didn't complete a pass on Vontez Burfick Sunday. Wow. And, uh, and, and he was kind of doing the Superman thing. I mean, he's almost got he's got to have a nickname from Sunday because almost every ball that was thrown his way, you see him lunging full out in, in <laughs> Superman mode to either intercept it or knock it down. I mean, he had numerous uh, pass deflections. And he had two interceptions in this drill, which, you know, you can look back at Nike camps and watch some pretty good uh, linebackers in these drills look bad. It's just that kind of drill where if you're a linebacker, you got a low running back running at you full speed, you got to read that route. Is he going inside? Is he coming outside? Is he running the wheel route? Is he doing the double fake on you? There's all these things that you can end up back on your heels and just falling on your butt and looking stupid. And these two guys didn't do it Sunday. They understood uh, what was on the line. And uh, there was a little competitiveness, I think, uh, with them both <laughs> afterwards, you know, with the MVP voting. Um, but, man, uh, USC comes out big. Uh, uh, they're the winner in that, you know, regardless of, of, of who uh, got the MVP or not because they're both committed. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they're getting hammered by other schools. They, they both mentioned after the camp that UCLA is recruiting them hard. Uh, didn't seem real interested uh, in exploring that option, but we'll see what happens down the line. Uh, but another name uh, with the linebackers to remember is Brandon Brown, uh, for USC fans specifically. He's a linebacker on a Norco, 6'1", 243 pounds as a sophomore, uh, 200, uh, another 2010 guy. And, um, and you're, you're not a guy that's really huge in space, um, kind of stiff a little bit, uh, more of a Mike linebacker kind of build for you know the fundamentals of run stopping and they're norco you know they run the ball a lot so it's, i don't think he's been ex- exposed to a lot of the pass drills that they had their sunday at the nike camp uh, but this was a kid that looked like a, a mini ray maluga i mean he's a big boy for a sophomore and he's going to be a guy that a lot of people are going to have to watch out for uh, coming up uh, for the you know the next year he'll be a junior and then obviously after that he'll be a senior so he's got a ways to go all right well we'll keep him on the radar one last quick topic for you gerard i think uh, we got the nike camp covered and we'll have video of all those guys coming up uh probably next week sometime uh clips of all the uh the usc commits and and 
USC prospects coming up from the Nike camp. But the uh, Rivals 100 and 250 came out this week. Um, looking at the uh, USC commit list, I mean, there's just stars everywhere. Uh, it's like the Milky Way. They have four five-star commitments already and, and potentially a couple more on the way. Is this kind of unprecedented territory to be in you know, mid-April and have four or five-star guys already when there's probably only like 20 or so in the country as it is? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, for USC specifically, just because in years past, they've always kind of waited until December, January to really make a, a, a real play on the five-star guys. But it's a great year in state, and they've been able to go in state and grab some of the best talent. And I don't think it's necessarily a, a bad thing or something that they're worried about because it's not like they have five guys or four guys here that are, that are five-star guys that are, that are out-of-state guys or guys that are going to be maybe in question. I think they feel pretty confident about all these guys that are at the top of their board and uh, and obviously, you know, just the talent that they have in this class early on, I think it helps build talent maybe for the second half of the class. A lot of these guys, you know, were at the Nike camp, and they're looking at all these guys that are just so good, and it's like, man, he's going to USC, he's going to USC. I want to be a part of that class too. It's a pretty powerful thing, and uh, and Matt Barkley knows it. I mean, he, he understands his place in the class, and he's been selling USC to everybody that he thinks is good enough to play with them. <laughs> and, uh, and and so, yeah, it's 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 unprecedented. But um, at this point, it's been pretty dang positive for USC. Certainly, yeah. And uh, Well, Gerard, that's the, all the time we have for this segment. Thank you very much for sharing all your recruiting insights. I don't know anybody who knows more about USC recruiting than you, so I'm, I'm glad I hired you, and thanks for, having, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Well, awesome. Thanks for hiring me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Okay, coming up, we have a very special guest in our next segment. If you want to know anything about all the Trojans that are going to be drafted this weekend in the NFL draft, they had nine guys uh, down at the uh, Senior Bowl, 12 guys at the Combine. Both were records this year for a single school. And uh, we talked to Mike Mayock, who is the the NFL draft guru from the NFL Network. And I've been lucky enough to be on TV with him a couple of times on the College Football Now show. But we're going to talk to him about all the different Trojan prospects and where he projects them to go in the draft. So stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. This is Ryan Abraham, your host of the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined with a special guest today, uh, the NFL Network's very own Mike Mayock. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Not a problem, Ryan. Um, so I just want to talk, it must be a really busy time for you with the draft coming up this weekend. Uh, I just want to talk about some of the USC targets. I know you got to see a lot of them down there at the uh, Senior Bowl in uh, Mobile, Alabama, and then at the Pro Day. Uh, I guess we could start up at the top of the list. Uh, one of the guys that you seem to be pretty high on, uh, you know, ever since the end of the season was uh, defensive tackle Cedric Ellis. What, can you give us a few thoughts on him and where you think he's probably going to be ended up going on uh, Saturday? Yeah, I think there's a real good chance that Cedric will end up uh, somewhere in that eight to ten category uh, in the first round. 
I think the Cincinnati Bengals at number nine make a lot of sense. I also think the New Orleans Saints at number 10 make a lot of sense. Um, and there, there's even been some talk about New Orleans trying to move up a couple slots to jump ahead of Cincinnati to make sure they can get Cedric. Yeah, and uh, it, people are talking about him, obviously, as a top five, potential top ten pick. Another guy that kind of snuck up there, um, and you, you thought he had a really nice pro day. I think he jumped 42 inches at USC, was uh, linebacker Keith Rivers. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, you know what? He's so athletic, good size, runs well, um, tests off the charts. He's the kind of guy that, that I think um, in, in a defense where – uh, they like outside linebackers that can run and chase as opposed to uh, kind of having to take on at the point of attack. Uh, he's the kind of guy that ought to be a top 15 pick. And right now, I don't know, Ryan, where he's going to end up because there's a lot of moving parts. But he'll be a top 15 pick and should be a great player in the league for 8 to 10 years. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I think a lot of people were impressed by him. One of his uh, linebacker mates, who not a lot of people were talking about, was actually Thomas Williams. Uh, he seemed to run a pretty good 40 time. He was really energetic in the uh, position drills and stuff. Where, do you see him actually getting a chance to get drafted uh, sometime, you know, maybe later on on the second day? I do see him getting drafted. And the thing that really helped him was his ability to step in and play any of the three linebacker positions this past couple of years when people got injured. Uh, so even though he wasn't a starter, and this is a testament to USC's program, I mean, here's a guy that could have started for most teams in the country, but every time there was a hiccup in the linebacking core, he was able to step in, make plays, look good at his pro day. I think he's the kind of guy that can be a core special teams player and also probably will get drafted somewhere about round number five. Wow, okay, that's pretty high. I mean, I'm, I think he was a guy that probably would sign on as a free agent in the past, and I guess with the uh, extra attention on him from the pro day, he uh, got to move up his stock a little bit there. Um, a couple interesting guys on the offensive line. One of the ones that I think maybe a year ago people thought would have been the, the number one Trojan picked in this coming draft would have been Sam Baker, um, a lot of people don't even have them in their top five tackles anymore. What do you think? Where do you think he's going to go? And what do you think happened to his stock? Well, I, you know what? I, I think sometimes that whole NFL draft stock thing gets blown out of proportion prior to a player being fully evaluated by NFL teams. So a guy comes out of a program like USC where he's an All-American and a starter for several years, and people assume he's, he's a, you know, a number one pick or a top ten pick. Sam Baker's a really good football player, and Sam Baker is going to play in the National Football League for a lot of years. But when you start to put his tape up against other people's tape, especially in a year where it, it might be the best offensive tackle class in the last 15 or 20 years, at least on paper, um, all of a sudden to say he might be the sixth best offensive tackle kind of fits him in at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. And I would make the argument that whether he came out a year ago or this year, it didn't really matter. That's about where he would fit in anyway. I mean, he's a good, solid, he's technique proficient. He's a hard worker. He's going to be a good player. Yeah, I think a lot of people were harping on some of the, uh, you know, like a Matt Leinart coming out, you know, a year after many people thought he would, and they said it hurt his draft stock. But I think he would have kind of fell to the same spot. And I agree with you on Sam Baker. If he came out last year or this year, if they saw those workouts, I mean, he only ran, a, you know, a, a pretty bad 40 time. It was like 5'4 or something at the pro day. 
you know, it wasn't going to be the number one overall pick. Like, you know, it uh, looks like Jake Long is announcing that today. Um, mm-hmm. Another guy, the only guy that actually came out early um, from from USC this year was uh, Shallow Rochelle. Uh, you know, he's a guard, so obviously those usually don't go very high in the draft, but he seems to have a lot of potential. He's got size and, and seems like he has pretty good feet. What did you see of him in his workouts, and uh, where do you project him going? He's a guy that um, I really felt like Eric Winston, or excuse me, like Winston Justice a couple of years ago would have benefited from his senior year. Um, I think both from a playing perspective, a work ethic perspective, uh, he's a guy that could have been one of the premier interior offensive linemen in the country had he stayed in school another year. He's still going to be drafted in the second or third round, um, but I truly believe he would have benefited from another year and um, both on and off the field. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because he followed Fred Matua, a guy who came out early kind of unexpectedly as well, and he ended up, uh, I think he actually moved over to defensive tackle now, um, but he was kind of on practice squads. It never really worked out for him. I mean, his career might blossom at some point here, but it really didn't work out right away. It didn't warrant coming out a year early, and it's funny that Charles Rochelle followed him, stepped into his footsteps, and then kind of potentially made the same mistake. But if he's drafted as high as you know second round, then obviously it's going to be some money for him, but we'll see if he'll be able to stick. Yeah, I, I think he probably gets slides into the third round, but he could go in the second. Okay. Um, quarterbacks, people, there's not a huge market for quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Matt Ryan obviously is going to be the first guy off the board. You know, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I don't think you're going to see a free fall like you did with, uh, um, who was it from, the guy from Cal? Brady uh, Aaron, Quinn. Yeah, Brady Quinn last year and then Aaron Rodgers a few years ago. Um, but there's, you know, there seems to be a good second and third tier of quarterbacks that guys can pick up in the second or third round. Is that kind of where you see John David Booty fitting in there? Uh, my my gut is that he'll probably be a third round quarterback, no worse than the fourth round. Um, I've got him as my number five quarterback, and the thing I like about JD Booty is that he understands the position of quarterback, he knows when and where to throw the football. He's got great touch and accuracy, comes out of a pro-style attack, uh, doesn't have as big an arm or is not as athletic as some of the guys ahead of him, but he, he really understands the game and could step in and manage the game very quickly as a, as a young player in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people liked his accuracy too, and you know, we'll see. He seemed to be you know, try not to make the mistake. He wasn't always making the big plays, and uh, a lot of people have been critical of his downfield ball, especially spring ball this uh, this year at USC. A lot of the younger quarterbacks like Mark Sanchez and Mitch Mustaine have been uh, proficient at throwing that deep ball, something we haven't really seen around, uh, you, know, you know, L.A. for a while at, at USC. Um, one of the guys he handed the ball off to, Chauncey Washington, I, you know, I, he had a good year. He led the team in, in rushing, but he had this breakout 40 time, which... You know, you could argue they said it was four three five, but you, you you know, I talked to you at the day, I and mean, you, you said a lot of people saw it as a a four four time. It's still a pretty fast time for a kid his size. Um, do you think that really helped his draft stock? Well, I think any time a kid that size runs a sub four five forty, that uh, people are going to sit up and take notice. Um, you know, you got to go back to the game tape, and and I really believe he's the kind of back that when he comes downhill and makes one quick cut, makes a move, and, and drops his pad level. He's a very effective back. Uh, he's never going to be confused with any kind of scat back or undersized back, but um, 
there was room for those kind of players in the NFL. I think people would have liked to have seen a more consistent player uh, and, and a more durable player throughout his career. And because of that, he probably ends up somewhere in that fourth or fifth round. Uh, but he's the kind of guy that, that could have a good career in the NFL. Yeah, it was funny when we were down in uh, Mobile, a lot of the scouts I talked to liked the fact that he was catching the ball well in practice out of the backfield, something he really didn't do all that much at USC. And then in the game, he actually dropped a couple of passes. So, but I think most of the scouts weren't even around for that. They want to just check out the, uh, you know, check out what the practices were. Is that something you saw in him? I think when you're talking about the running back position, the more you can do, the more useful you are, um, the better and longer your career will be. For instance, um, when you're not the starter, which he won't be at least initially, uh, if you can catch the ball and pass protect, you can get in on third down. Uh, if you're willing to block, you can you can get in more often than that. And finally, if you're tough enough and fast enough to play special teams, you can guarantee yourself a roster spot. So those are all things that I think a guy like that has to buy in, and he has to buy in early if, if Chauncey wants to have a good NFL career. Okay, and uh, one of my favorite players is uh, that I've kind of seen grow up through the program is uh, Lawrence Jackson. He's always really nice to the media whenever you talk to him. Uh, seems to have a really good motor. I'm not sure, you know, where he's going to play if he would have to play in a three-four at an outside linebacker. Where would you project him, and what kind of career do you think he would? Or, you know, where would he be as an NFL player? I think he's being looked at both by the uh, the four-three teams as a base end and the three, four teams um, as a defensive end. And I think a few teams have worked him out as a rush linebacker also. So he's got some versatility. He's athletic with long arms. He's got some natural pass rush ability. I think he probably fits somewhere into that second round. And, uh, again, the kind of kid that has to uh, bow up and make sure that he can stop the run, make sure he plays with technique. He's a He's a little bit of a tweener between some of those defenses, but uh, I like the fact that he can do so many things, and, and he's been a very, very effective pass rusher at USC. Wow. And uh, sorry, there's so many guys here. <laughs> you go out there like, oh, what about Fred Davis? Um, one of the top two or three tight ends for sure. Um, what, what, do you th- what are your thoughts about Fred? Um, you know, Fred had, from, from the time the season ended till now, I, I think Fred struggled a little bit. You know, he has some real good tape from his senior year, which is what should be the uh, predominant factor. Uh, he's a vertical threat, catches the football extremely well. Uh, he's a little tight in the hips, but showed up a little bit on his pro day and some of the uh, change of direction drills. Um, he's the kind of guy where I think is going to go probably late two to mid three. Um, ran fairly well. Catches well, not a great blocker, but because of the way the pass offenses are going in the NFL, he's the kind of guy they're looking for for a move guy and a vertical threat. Yeah, I watched a bunch of your coverage at the Combine. He did have uh, some trouble going through those gauntlets where you have people throwing passes from left and right and turning around. He dropped a few of those. I don't know if that was one of the contributing factors that kind of hurt his uh, stock there a little bit. Uh, you know, at the combine, if you're not catching the football in gym shorts running around, it just raises a red flag what you're going to do when linebackers are hitting you. But again, he has some really good tape this year, and that should be the, the predominant factor. Cool. And then uh, last guy, I believe this is the last guy. Um, hopefully I didn't leave anybody out. Uh, Terrell Thomas is a interesting corner, 
Uh, he's got pretty good size. I think he's six feet or six one. He seems to have fairly long arms. Um, kind of a cover two corner guy. Is that how he's being projected in the NFL? I think he's one of the more intriguing Trojans, to be honest with you. I, I think he's, uh, I think he's a, being labeled a cover two corner because what his forty yard dash time is. However, he could also project inside the free safety, assuming his shoulders are okay. Uh, he's smart. He's instinctive. He's got good ball skills. He makes plays. He understands zone schemes. He understands man-to-man. Um, I think he's a fairly valuable commodity. I see him probably going in the third round, and uh, it, I think he's got a chance to carve himself out uh, a nice career in the league. Well, yeah, he's definitely moved up then. Uh, you know, from, I think coming out, he was a little unheralded, but now it seems like he's getting some people's attention. But All right, well, Mike, I know you're extremely busy. If you can catch him out on the uh, NFL Network, all the combine shows, the inside the draft. Uh, he's actually on College Football Now, a show I'm on uh, uh, every once in a while on the NFL Network. Check him out. He does great work. Mike Mayock, thank you very much for joining us. Have a great day, Ryan. Enjoy the weekend. Okay. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.